0: Take time out with this podcast by two Black women in London and Stockholm. We've carved out a story with each other and compare the Afro-Swedish and Black-British experiences of living, loving, working, and parenting. Our families are mixed, Sudanese and European. Yalla, join us for sweet tea and a chat. Hi, Lami's. <laughs> Hi, Isra. How are you? I'm really, really good. Thank you. Are you How drinking are you? sweet
1: tea?
0: It's uh, on its way. <laughs> the kettle
1: has boiled. <laughs>
0: okay. The kettle is hot. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. Well, really nice to hear you say that intro, um, because I feel like it's been a long time coming that we thought we should try and share some of our experiences, um. Because I I listen to a lot of podcasts and I feel like a lot of this stuff is missing.
0: I hear you on that point. And there's so much to work with in terms of like um, parenting, relationship, uh, uh, coaching in general, minority stress, even. Um, Minority
1: stress. We have... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Some minority stress to discuss <laughs>
0: yes we do it's it's really it's beyond the buzzword um it's actually taking shape as a, a like a formal public discussion here yeah. in sweden um and i still feel this experience as a sudanese woman uh married to a european man I feel like I don't have enough of a reference library like I'm still doing things the first time around and not finding any kind of comparative references so our podcast uh, hopefully will serve as as a reference for both of us and for others who are either interested in this experience or already (laughs) in it.
1: Yeah I think I I, I agree completely and I also think um we've got quite a lot going on right like we have language stuff to think about within our families, um, we have cultural stuff and we're in different places ourselves as our as are probably people listening to this so for example, maybe we just locate ourselves a little bit like we both sort of have Sudanese heritage um, and but both, Grew up largely not in Sudan, um, and we're both married people who are not Sudanese, and it's kind of it's not a simple situation.
0: Oh, it's, it's simple doesn't come <laughs> anywhere close. <laughs> yeah. It's it's as complex as complex can be. I think. Um,
1: yeah. So your husband is Swedish, right?
0: yes my husband is swedish
1: and my husband is english
0: um Um, my husband is also a fluent arabic speaker
1: yeah okay so that is one of the differences here isn't it that my husband does not speak arabic and hasn't lived in a in an arab-speaking country um and we're yeah we're in london um I think something that's quite interesting for me, and maybe this is a good place for us to start. It's something we've kind of discussed very briefly when we first met. But when you got together with your husband, (laughs) did you how far ahead did you think? Like, were you thinking, okay, so at some point we're going to have children and at some point we're going to have to negotiate, um, you know, things around their identity them being mixed (laughs) me me helping them navigate this even though it's something that I'm not but I'm something else uh, yeah do you know what I mean how far ahead did you think you know obviously maybe not first date but like when you got married how much were you um, considering these eventualities
0: Um, and not (laughs) at all
1: Um, I really like how I said eventualities like that's another word for our children (laughs) our eventualities (laughs) our eventualities
0: Uh, we didn't have those conversations not even when we were um, discussing the timeline of when to try to conceive and then when we did conceive we still didn't have those conversations yeah Um, so much of what we uh, immersed ourselves in was how to make things work for us as individuals, how do we become a pair. Um, and that continued after we entered parenthood. It, it really was a choice I was making on my own, the choice to abandon English and only speak Arabic to my firstborn because I didn't want him to struggle the way I did with a feeling of Arabic being just beyond my reach, even though I, I'm yeah. a, a fluent speaker of several dialects um, and can switch between dialects comfortably. When it comes to written Arabic, I have this kind of language envy, you know, right. where I, I wish that I could write even just <laughs> the most basic uh, tweet without it being. And an intellectually painful experience.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is not what Twitter should be at all. No. Right? It's like, it's pithy, light kind of. Um, right.
0: Yeah, and so I I didn't take it up with with my husband or with anyone else for that matter. You know, yeah. I was feeling Did into it. Did anybody
1: ask you about it? Like, oh, you know, you're marrying somebody who's not Sudanese. Have you thought about how you're Yeah. Have you thought about like negotiating the the next generation as it were did anyone talk to you about it in, in in that kind of quite blunt stark way um
0: no and the interesting thing is that uh, my family embraced my husband so fully uh because of his um because of his uh Arabic fluency but also uh, because he shared faith with us and so they fasted together they prayed together uh, and there was just no question voiced about how will you form a family and what will be the culture or language of your home Hmm. and and in a way I think they just kind of assumed that uh, it wouldn't be complex or problematic because we shared language and faith yeah Um, so we were really alone
1: (laughs) yeah. <laughs> in that but, challenge but that's interesting isn't it because that is an assumption because you do share a faith your husband's a, a convert right um a, a revert, yeah he's not comfortable a revert. with that yeah. word yeah no, with convert yeah. but yes a revert <laughs> yeah so so you shared a faith and you share a language but for for you it was sort of verging on your mother tongue although that's quite complex as well and for him it was not um but you still had these quite like firm firm things, I guess, anchoring you together. So do you think that, that it was almost like there was no, um, I don't know what I'm asking, but I guess, cause it's still complex, right? There's still things to navigate, even though you have these, these, these things that, that sort of bind you. Yeah,
0: I think the complexities are in understanding our roles, yeah. Um, within the marriage context as well, I think we you and I grew up um, watching our parents be each other's anchors uh, in a diaspora. Um, and I think it's different when people grow up in a more you know communal home, like people do in, in Japan, for example. Uh, but, but my mom and dad had each other, right? They yeah. were each other's um, pillars. And I I came into a marriage assuming that I had to be everything all of the time. So I took that also into my parenting. I yes. thought I have to be everything all of the time for my children. And there is the complexity of the challenge. Uh, it, his home culture was different.
1: Yeah. And maybe um, that's something you hadn't, hadn't clocked as a young couple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for us, um, I would say, you know, some very similar, uh, experiences, but also some, some kind of stark differences that, um, my, my husband is, is English, uh, and was not brought up religiously in any way, um, and is is neither a revert nor nor is he practicing sort of in his, you know, home cultural religion, which I guess would be Church of England, but but was just simply was not brought up that way. Yeah. Um, and I think and and then sort of sort of similarly, I really wasn't brought up um, in a particularly religious way, and I think that was partly because. Uh, you know in Sudan or certainly for my parents growing up their religion was so taken for granted it was such a a major part of who they were that they almost did not feel the need to kind of um I guess like explain it or push it or, or anything like that um but what that meant was was that I I was not brought up explicitly in a in a religious way um and we also were not in a, in a particularly tight diaspora. So we were quite separate from, from the Sudanese community to do with geography and so on. Um, so it meant that at the, coming together as a unit, my husband and I, we did not have strong religious identities either way. Um, and those questions were, were not necessarily like at the forefront of our mind. And still, probably aren't. But 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 there's more to a mixed culture, right? Than religion. So um, we we created these eventualities, <laughs> our children, um, and a big part of of I think their identity um, is is going to be us working things out around language, around cultural heritage, and uh, around religious identity, race. Um, that we're sort of taking each day as it as it comes. I mean, we did discuss a little bit around having children who were mixed race. I would say that that was something that we were much more aware of um, than the other stuff.
0: So was the discussion based primarily around, you know, what will our children look like? Will they look more like me or you or, you know?
1: No, it was a bit more, a bit more than that. <laughs> it was sort of more kind of, well, you know, we have to be aware that, neither of us is mixed race right so i'm black my husband is white we are uh we will be parenting people who have a racial identity that we we don't have um neither of us can say well i went through this exact thing right. um so we kind of talked a lot about how important it, it it would be to to be really open with with children about that and and we we were very um deliberate about the kind of books that we had like children's books that we had um that you know they were kind of super diverse so that kids might see themselves represented um which is something certainly as I grew up I, I didn't see many like black brown mixed children um in in, in as, as characters either in books or sort of stories or, or things that I watched so we were quite conscious of that side of things um and made you know really we were, were very keen to sort of avoid uh ha- just having yeah it, images and and so on where where the where the kids might look at it and feel invisible um you know in their own home
0: which, I is, hear a, you. which is a
1: minority stress in it in its own <laughs> like yeah way so we definitely we were very kind of on it with race um but then, as as we've become parents for a bit longer, the other things we've definitely kind of just sort of starting to tackle bit by bit. And I I noticed you said that you speak, you made the decision to speak to your firstborn exclusively in Arabic. So that's sort of it's one parent, one language, isn't it? The um the the theory uh, where one parent speaks one language, another parent speaks another language, and you know hopefully you then get a, a, a vaguely bilingual child is that was that your, <laughs> right.
0: was,
1: was that well, your thinking
0: <laughs> well that was the thinking at the time yeah. um it worked quite well and even um uh, when my son was uh, ready to to spend time without me uh, and with his swedish grandparents they got a vocabulary list of of his words <gasps> Oh, that's um, so cute. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they understood when he was, you know, saying that he wanted to eat, when he wanted milk, whether it was cold or, or warm, um, when, he, you know, um, when he wanted to go out to play or when he wanted to take a nap. Um,
1: so did he have those words also in Swedish? Or... No. No. Okay. How lovely. So they kind of got a little lesson as well.
0: Yeah. and And it went really well up until... We um, we started the um, primary no what is it called nursery school here so they they are not required to start at one and a half b- but really by two they they're expected to uh huh um, and it's a it's a pedagogical nursery school program so they're actually they're being taught. How to sit at the table, how to eat with their cutlery. I mean, it's it's, um, and they serve them soup from like day one. <laughs> they have to just <laughs> manage it, um, and then language development, <laughs> understanding um, arithmetic in general. You know the mathematical concepts, and and so it's not your average daycare, um, and the idea is that from age two they really should be enrolled in these um local nurseries and uh, spent some hours there every week and then the Swedish started to come to come in um, much more so and became the dominant language um, because he was receiving it from his father, his grandparents and at the nursery school um in terms of race and and representation, I feel like our generation Lamis has been really lucky in that, um, we are also producing the books and cartoons um, with the diversity that that feels much more like the experience we had as children uh, yeah. in real life, uh, and not what we were seeing back at us in the books, which was almost like a a false mirror image. Uh, the books were all white, and then we went to the schoolyard, and there were diverse kids there. Yeah. So, our generation's kind
1: of. Or they weren't, but we were. Or they weren't. So. S- but yeah,
0: to some d- to some extent, at least it was diverse in London. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up in both London and, and Washington, D.C., and I- it was very diverse uh, uh, in Washington, D.C., not so much um, in Virginia Water, <laughs> where mm-hmm. I went to school as a child. Um, but yeah, yeah so we had those books. So for me, that representation wasn't so much an issue. And the nursery schools we, we chose were also mixed. There was a, a diverse staff. Um, but the language wasn't as easy to fix. Yeah,
1: interesting.
0: We're still working on it
1: oh yeah I mean it's a lifelong project isn't it and and I, I really I kind of admire your approach that you went in all guns blazing um, which is <laughs> certainly not not what what I did at all because I I, um, I read a little bit about one parent one language and for some reason I felt I, I had it, some really kind of conflicting feelings around it because I worried that we'd create a situation where we were separate within our own home, mm-hmm. um, you know, so we were not a unit because obviously my husband doesn't speak Arabic. Um, so I kind of felt like, well, when we're together, we should be together, like in a kind of mind, body, soul, thinking, talking all about the same stuff, understanding what's happening. Um, and that was also kind of coupled with a, a slight, like, I guess, lack of confidence on my part with my own Arabic. Um, and How feelings. do you describe
0: your Arabic again? You have a great expression for it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> kitchen
1: table Arabic. <laughs> yes, kitchen table Arabic. <laughs> kitchen table Arabic. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of kitchen table talk or kitchen table uh, utensils and things you might have at the kitchen table or, or kind of instructions that I feel very fairly comfortable with in terms of Sudanese dialect. Um, but then kind of stepping out of that, like I mean, literally stepping out of that living room or garden or street or school or something. And, and my Arabic is is not it doesn't just it doesn't slip off the tongue as easily as I would like. And it's that nanosecond of trying to find the word, yeah. wh- which I don't have in English. So I think I just I, I almost felt like, well, this is this is a lot of pressure just becoming a parent and actually you know keeping your kid alive, keeping mm. them clean, keeping yourselves fed and sane, um, and to have that ex, you know it's, it's new levels of exhaustion. We had a lot of other stuff going on as well. Yes, I felt like actually I uh, I don't know if I have it in me to voluntarily add this other layer of um, work and potential separation and, and I, I do see it differently now I, I, I kind of have come to see that it's not separating the family at all um, and that fear that you know I'll be there speaking to my child in Arabic and Tom won't know what we're talking about and it will be alienating for him um, is not yeah is, is actually is a bit of a myth and I kind of I guess I wish I had discussed it with someone at the time, maybe someone else who was doing it (laughs) Um, just to kind of realize that like it's fine. And actually it's normal when you're with young children that you might be all together, but you might be sort of doing different things, thinking about different things and you're laying the foundations for, for something really beautiful.
0: I, I agree. Um, I I think that offering a wider horizon uh, is is a positive decision uh, to make as a family, um, and the languages will will empower them. I think to to be better able to navigate learning in general. Um, it's you know like a puzzle for the mind. It is, um, we. We have uh, gone back and forth in terms of theories and and practice. And at the end of the day, um, seven years in, and having another child uh, in the meantime, uh, so seven years in, two children, three languages, you know, it's a lot of math. (laughs) Uh, And we've decided to just um, feel into it. So, when we don't find the right materials, whether it's um, uh, video materials or interactive um, apps, um, or well translated books, the books that aren't translated in that rigid. Modern standard Arabic that sounds like someone is, you know, reciting the news. (laughs) And I say reciting the news uh, on purpose uh, because it really doesn't sound natural. Nobody speaks like that. Uh, Arabic news literally sounds like someone is reciting something that's been written for them as opposed to listening to the news in English. Um, So what we've done is on impulse, say, uh, pick up a book, like um, Good Night Moon, love, an old classic. Moon. I would say Yeah. Um, you know <laughs> Yeah. Uh,
1: and
0: it. um, we just we just go with it. As as our children got older, uh, my son would ask, what that doesn't look like Arabic writing. How are you reading Arabic from this book? <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> I would say, oh, I'm translating as I go along. And so they've also felt like they can ask, for example, can you read a book in English? Can you read a book in Swedish? Or as my daughter says, can you read a book in the language I'm speaking to you right now? Because yeah, she oh, has lovely. trouble
1: identifying which is which. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that is lovely. I mean I, I definitely since having another child have rethought the language stuff a lot mm. um, and I'm definitely like speaking to to both children in Arabic a lot more. Um, one another thing that kind of like concerned me was uh, if I'm not consistent, if I don't start it from day one and just do it all the time, that there might be an issue with like language confusion Mm -hmm. Um, like you kind of described there that you know your daughter doesn't have a name for both languages but I've kind of looked into it and actually that that's okay (laughs) like it's okay for that for that to be part of the road that you travel in order to have another language um you know life is confusing kids are confused by lots of things so it's all right to have a potential bit of um yeah, I guess maybe a, a different word is 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 more appropriate than confusion.
0: Um, well, isn't it so that um, I don't know if a child psychologists or behavioral scientists or who it is that does this uh, research? Um, but I, I'm sure I've come across the information that uh, children don't differentiate between languages. They 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 have an emotional. Um, that tells them which language to use in which context
1: yeah um,
0: but it's not because they know they're speaking the name of a language English yeah. Russian German like Swedish um, so do you mean
1: that emotionally when they're somewhere for example like at nursery or, or daycare they they'll kind of just emotionally in like with with a certain type of intuition realize that the right here is this yes yeah yeah I think that makes sense actually that makes a lot of sense Mm. um yeah it's a it's a funny one and also I, I don't know if you had any concerns around this and this I guess is sort of specific to to the Arabic situation um of uh almost like a slight worry about how uh, other people speaking the majority language might react to this child with with Arabic right due to somebody else's um like awful prejudices or even just sort of uh, nervousness or ignorance around Arabic um that do you know what I mean that you might be leaving I, I open to, to something that's not very nice uh,
0: I, I lived that um, worry and, and I f- fed it until it became a really uncomfortable fear and so um, sometimes uh, w- like when it rained and I needed to take a bus instead of um, walking to and from the nursery school and I needed to address my son. Um, and there was somebody sitting very close to us.
1: Yeah. I said
0: things in English. And he was confused by it mm. because he wasn't receiving that language from me for the first four years of his life. And he's like, What is she doing? you know? <laughs> and I didn't want to do it in Swedish. Um, and uh, Also learning Swedish and I didn't want him to receive um an inadequate Swedish from me. Yeah, totally. I stopped doing it also after a few months of just extreme discomfort when I when I managed to tell somebody that I was doing it. And they were like, what? No. you don't need to do that it's not your job to make people more comfortable on public transportation like their prejudice is uh, is about them
1: yeah i i mean i i agree i totally agree and if you had spoken to me at the time i probably would have said a similar thing but that doesn't mean that the fear isn't there (laughs) you know that that kind of inhibition that you have around so much of yourself um, when when you are a minority in some way um, yeah. you don't know how other people will react you don't know how I know something that I kind of my certain my parents used to say when we were growing up is um, this person watching us now is gonna go and talk about this at their dinner party <laughs> Do you know what I mean? right you know this idea that as as an outsider You are sort of a a spectacle in some way. That's really
0: funny, Lemmy. I said exactly that last weekend to my friend. We were out on a walk with our children by their new summer home uh, in the archipelago here in Stockholm, so on the water. And this this, uh, group of uh, older couples walked past, really taking us in. Uh, two mixed race couples (laughs) and four children running about, uh, some on bicycles. And I said to her, oh, the conversation at dinner will be You know, (laughs) look at these Swedish men and their and their imported wives.
1: (laughs) And foreign wives.
0: And then not even foreign, imported (laughs) wives. And then her husband said, no, no. They will be trying to figure out which of us are in a couple together and how we manage to get the kids.
1: The, the conversation is well advanced in twenty twenty one he said. yeah, they will I' saying. So which, do you think the one pushing the buggy is married to the one that was chasing the one in the coat? or do you think yeah, exactly,
0: or were the were the gentlemen
1: together and the yeah, ladies well, together
0: yes. or was it you know yeah. So yeah, that that is very much present in my immigrant mind. Oh, look, they're going home to talk about about us at dinner.
1: Yeah. Um, and so, and I think it kind of being aware of our hypervisibility is a lot.
0: Yeah. Um, hypervisibility. And, and, wow. And for
1: that to be our hyper, like, you know, whatever it would be with language, our hyperorality, that anything that we say um, is kind of, yeah, it's extremely um, noticeable. And, right. and I think it takes, like, I do consider myself in lots of ways, quite strong but I think it takes a certain strength to to literally not care just be like I'm going to be here I'm going to be me I'm going to be talking you might not understand it and you might associate it with lots of really negative scary things but that's just going to have to be your experience today and I and I'm and I'm okay with that and also that horrible phrase and I don't care Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not bothered yeah I'm not bothered (laughs) But it's sort of not nice because you have this idea, you know, certainly being like, well, certainly for me, Mm. you know, like being brought up Sudanese, you have to think about being polite and um, always sort of going out of your way so that people think good things about Sudanese people. (laughs) There's such a, there's just a lot of pressure that you almost, it's almost easier to just not open my mouth and not say... To, to either of my kids anything in Arabic or not sing that song in Arabic and just yeah. wait until there's nobody around us. Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting kind of, in, like, extra layer, of a, a extra burden maybe that we have as Arabic speakers that perhaps other people in, in sort of mixed marriages with, with different languages and different heritage maybe don't have that.
0: I hear you, but I feel like making the investment in my Sudanese-ness, accepting that uh, I do represent Sudan when I represent myself and, and not giving that away, not letting it go as much as um, my uh, white European colleagues and mentors have said to me time and again, you know, you only have a duty to yourself uh i respectfully i disagree um i take on the ambassadorship and i represent my parents sudan i represent the sudan that i have also within myself and i do it with affection and uh, today we are out and about in stockholm and we choose to speak arabic to our children from time to time um and we are met with both the positive and negative. But when we're met with the positive, when we're met with people who say, oh, are you a multilingual uh, family? How no. fascinating. Or, oh, you know, my mother, when I was a child. I really wish I had learned it. Uh, you know, I, I have a newborn. You've inspired me. I'm going to try. And we've yeah. gotten so much positive feedback that it actually, in the end, outweighs the negative.
1: Yeah, um, that's lovely. I especially like the idea that it inspires somebody to kind of, you know, plow through the newborn exhaustion yes. <laughs> and make some kind of <laughs> constructive plans about about how they're going to um, to introduce different languages to to their kids. I mean, I I, I also take that that sort of role of. Um, you know representation ambassadorship as it were for Sudan I, I do I understand that we kind of have it whether we want it or not so we may as well wear it but with <laughs> right because like, quite often I will be like, you know the only Sudanese person that somebody has ever or will ever meet um right. and I'm really aware of that um and 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 also you know in terms of having children who are who are sort of mixed and I hate the term half anything so I, I don't mm. want to think that they're half anything and half something else, but that they have a wholeness about them that's just enriched by, by being mixed. Um, but yeah, in, in, in terms of, of the kids, like you know, recently my daughter had a, um, she had to research a country um, and sort of come up with some facts about it. Uh, and she had been given a, a, a European country in separately in the in their kind of class football sweepstakes because the euro championships are going on now yes, yes. um and that country was um austria which is a, i'm sure is lovely i know nothing about it um <laughs> but uh, and so she said oh well i guess you know the thing i should research should really be austria as as that's my my country in the sweepstakes and i i really i found myself kind of slightly turning into um a bit of a caricature of an immigrant mum, and I was like, no, <laughs> the country you will, the country you will research will be Sudan, young lady, and <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately they do have, uh, they're going to have a, a strand of that burden as well, right? Um, so we may as well give it or to them. privilege, <laughs> or privilege. <laughs> but I, that's what I'm saying. We may as well give it to them as a crown, rather yes. than as a sort of vague like gray splodge in the background that they're not sure about
0: yeah so Lamis, I think we're we've come to the end of our podcast for this morning uh, I would love to invite us back for our next podcast to talk more about this um Uh, giving our children the crown the Sudanese crown we have some similar stories about researching countries and representation in school um I, I think it would be really lovely also to invite our listeners to send in some questions
1: yeah well we I I was thinking it would be brilliant to hear from other Sudanese people who are either embarking upon a mixed marriage <laughs> um, or are sort of in one and are wondering but but not exclusively Sudanese people kind of a- anybody who is um making a family uh one way or another uh and have got these other elements to to sort of consider in terms of background culture language um heritage race um I'd, I'd really love to hear from, from those people and also based on your lovely story about uh, somebody hearing you speaking Arabic to your children and, and sort of being inspired, I, I wonder if people might want to get in touch and let us know what it's like when you're public with this stuff, like when, you, when you're when you out there being hyper-visible, mm. what kind of reactions do you get, hyper-visible and also hyper-lingual, hyper-oral with your, with you know, people can hear you speaking different languages um Yeah, I, I just think that's really that's really fascinating and kind of useful to share.
0: Absolutely, I agree. I totally agree. Um, okay, so we'll round off for today. Thank you again, Lemi's, for making time. Find to connect yep. with your sister in Stockholm.
1: <laughs> Thank you, sister friend. Um, I think I might have that sweet tea now.
0: <laughs> Sounds good.
1: Enjoy. Okay. Until the next time. Bye, Habiba. Bye bye.